constant struggle. If you want some, you got to make trouble. Freedom is a constant struggle. If you want some, you got to make trouble. We're the troublemakers. Help us save the world. 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 and minds of those who rever his legacy and play his beats on and on. Doo-dee, doo-dee, 
Santa María. Welcome to Weekly Review. This is Roman, and that that was a couple of songs from the Troublemakers Union. We'll be hearing some more music from them throughout the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. We are broadcasting here live in the Mission District in San Francisco, California, the United States. We're on a lonely land. And thank you so much for listening in. I'll provide a trigger warning because we will be talking about current events and the news and things that I don't know how I can't speak for anyone else. For me, it makes me really upset and angry and sad and depressed. And uh, so we'll be talking about what's happening in the world and going over a few news stories. There are some positive ones. I always try to slip some positive things in there because there are some good things happening around the world. And it's important not to lose sight of that, I feel, because it's easy for me to read all these articles, especially if I'm on social media, which I feel is detrimental to my mental health, and to hear about all these things that are happening. And also recognize that uh, disappearing or pretending that they're not happening isn't going to solve anything. So it's a, uh, it's not a lose-lose situation. It's just a, in order to recognize that it's happening, we have to pay attention to it and it's important to speak about it. So since I'm able to, and there's a resource here at Mutiny Radio to speak the truth, then that's what I'm going to do. And I had a dream a few nights ago. I won't go into it because I feel sometimes I have these dreams that are they're pretty fucking awesome. And then also some things happen where I feel if I were to like speak them out loud, it might get me in trouble, if that makes sense. And of course, trouble is not necessarily a bad thing. However, it's a, it's a fine line. Ooh. Anyway, part of the dream was that uh, apparently the revolution was happening in my dream and or the, any semblance of it. And things were a bit tumultuous, as one might assume. And I was feeling a little bit nervous. And I was like, how do we make sure this actually happens? And my dad was there and he said, just keep on speaking the truth. And so I was like, all right, cool. And then some other things happened, which I'll, I'll talk about at, at some point, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> and it was good. Things were good. There were some actions that took place. Last night, this is not going to be my dream podcast, but I had a dream that I saw like a bus in the sky. It looked like a BART car. It was like glowing BART car in the sky. I'm like, this is unusual. And it was like for real <laughs> extraterrestrials. And I was like, finally, you know, come on, help us out here. Humans are, we're having a tough time. We've been having a tough time in a, for a while. And it turns out that they decided to like send us the, the very thin, it was like clear. Everyone agreed that this is definitely aliens sending us help or so, something. And they're like very thin discs that kind of remind me of Frisbee a little bit. I, I'm personally a, a big fan of Ultimate Frisbee. I haven't played in a while. I enjoyed it. It was really non-competitive, which I enjoyed. Anywho... And so, so I was with a few friends. I don't know who they were exactly. Maybe in a, there was one friend I remember for sure. Um, but a few folks were there, and they started sending these like little discs down. And apparently, but of course we don't exactly know what, what's happening or what these discs are made of. But it seems pretty clear. I should say, and it seems pretty clear that these discs are going to fully connect us to the internet, which might not be a good thing. And apparently, it means we, we would just be able to absorb all the information on the internet instead of having to check it all the time. 
which might save us some time and also could be problematic in a lot of ways because we do know that some things on the internet are best not to be consumed. And so one person like instantly caught it and another person, and then it really turned into like an ultimate game. Another friend was going to catch it and then someone else kind of like knocked it out of their hand like you would in a defensive ultimate frisbee move. And then when it came to me, it was like a very small, it was a smaller disc and I still wasn't sure, do I really want to be connected online? And I just dropped it. It's just something that happened. So other things happened as well. I'll share them perhaps at another time if I remember. And I thought that was fascinating. Aliens or extraterrestrials or beings from another world sending us some help possibly. I'm all for that. One of my favorite movies is the original The Day the Earth Stood Still. And I talk about it quite frequently on this program. And it could be... The idea is uh, aliens come from outer space and they're like, ugh you and humans in your wars and they make all the weapons and tanks disappear. And they also shut off electricity except in hospitals. So they're, they're pretty right on. Ah, one day in the meantime, let's talk about what humans are doing this week. I am already angry about it and I haven't even started talking about it. I was thinking about it this morning. I was able to get caffeinated. I made myself breakfast, showered, meditated, biked over. It was, it's very lovely out. And, oh, goodness. So, over the past week, there have been a number of reported white folks calling the police on black folks and indigenous folks. That's what's been happening. I mean, it's been happening for a long time. And particularly in this past week, there have been a number of reported incidents. There's a barbecue in Oakland. There are folks who are shopping at Nordstrom's. There are people who are checking out of an Airbnb. There is a grad student at Yale. There are, I have a friend of mine who was pulled over by police. <sighs> And the cop had, like, his gun on him. It was, like, fucking gross. There are also some students, indigenous students, who are on a, I believe, a college tour, and someone called the police on them. And this is just, this is just the only thing that we've been reported, that have been reported. And this is just within the last week, so who knows what else is happening that we, don't, we haven't heard about yet. It's fucking disgusting and outrageous. So please stop calling the police. I don't know if any listeners of the show, I don't... I'm not quite sure of the folks who listen to this show. I imagine if you're listening, perhaps you're on the same page. Uh, let's not call the police. That's not, that's not a thing that's going to help people. There's a lot of alternatives out there. And especially in a lot of these situations, it's not even like folks really felt like they were in danger. It was more like, um, I'm going to just assert my control or my dominance over the situation. And you can't be alive today and still have no, in this country, and still have no understanding of the harm that law enforcement has caused to certain communities. So one of the incidents was very local. It happened at Lake Merritt in Oakland. Folks were having a barbecue, as people do there. People barbecue all the time. And this woman called the police on them. And then the police didn't come, and she was waiting for them, and she got really angry. But she was there, like, kind of stalking them. And one woman came who was the wife of one of the people who was barbecuing and started videotaping and was like talking to her and being like, what, why are you here? Like, this is nonsense. And the, the video at lasts at least 20 minutes and it's just, it's obscene and it's ridiculous and it's absurd. And also you can't just let people have a good time. It's like that. It's like what, what, of all the things going on in the world, you're going to take time out of your day to go and harass people who are enjoying themselves in the park. That's what this person was doing. And 
many folks I know like posted about this and apparently since she is local, someone, the person who was causing the trouble has had that kind of certain same behavior in the Temescal area and has been kicked out of restaurants before and has used like a lot of racial epithets and just been really problematic. So, oh, oh, oh. I wish I had more concrete words to say or actions to take. The video is pretty, it's pretty viral right now. So folks can definitely look that up. And I've also posted it on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. So you can check it out. If you see this person, it's fucking gross. It's really gross. I, I don't know disappointed in humanity my disappointment in humanity i have some faith certainly because why why stick around if there's no, no nothing good that can happen and to some extent i do believe humans are evolving and then on the on the same page we also see fears irrational fears being acted out which are incredibly harmful and dangerous to people and it's like little, like even the smallest things can't happen. People can't even go about their day because others have these irrational fears in their minds. And especially if you look at the systemic violence, which is state violence, we see there are actually things to be really upset about and afraid of and concerned about. So I get that being alive and aware in this world that there are things to be concerned about. However, maybe you should... Uh, if you have the time and energy to be angry about something, perhaps aim that at the powers that be who are actually causing the harm. And that will lead us into some of our first stories. Ugh. Hope everyone is, th- thank you for listening. And ugh, this is, ugh. again, I'd rather, you know, sit here and play music all day. That would be, fr- there's, nothing, there's nothing that means I can't. I can totally do that. And at the same time, uh, part of the reason I do the show is that growing up there's the the media has been always biased and we've heard a very limited and skewed and often backwards version of what's actually happening and if there's anything i can do i hope to provide at least one voice and it's not just mine because it's of course a, an amalgamation of the activists and the folks who are posting their stories and posting the truth so i'm just sharing that i'm merely a a vessel to share what's happening and as some kind of counter to the stories that we either, if you have a TV and you watch TV or you see even online, the skewed websites that really play into people's fears. And I get being afraid. I myself am afraid a lot of the time. However, I think it's important to recognize exactly what we're afraid of and to really understand where that fear is coming from. So we all know about surveillance <laughs> coming at the state level. And oh, the first the first story I'm going to read about is going to move everything a little bit closer here. It's from The Guardian. And this came out today, and it's written by Sam Levin. Uh, Black activist jailed for his Facebook posts speaks out about secret FBI surveillance. Now, meanwhile... Cops are going around assaulting people, killing people. We've got politicians 
passing policies that harm folks that look to raise rents or to restrict people's healthcare access. We have folks who want to start wars. We've got private companies looking to privatize water even more than it already is. And yet the FBI are going after individuals who are speaking their truth. So this article is from The Guardian, and again, it came out today. Exclusive. Rakim Balogun spoke out against police brutality, and now he is believed to be the first prosecuted under a secretive U.S. effort to track so-called, quote-unquote, black identity extremists. Rakim Balogun thought he was dreaming when armed agents in tactical gear stormed his apartment. Startled awake by a large crash and officers screaming commands, he soon realized his nightmare was real, and he and his 15-year-old son were forced outside of their Dallas home wearing only underwear. Handcuffed and shaking in the cold wind, Balogun thought a misunderstanding must have led to the FBI to, must have led the FBI to his door on December 12, 2017. The father of three said he was shocked to later learn that agents investigating quote-unquote domestic terrorism had been monitoring him for years and were arresting him that day in part because of his Facebook post criticizing police. It's tyranny at its finest, said Balogun, 34. I have not been doing anything illegal for them to have surveillance on me. I have not hurt anyone or threatened anyone. Balogun spoke to The Guardian this week in his first interview since he was released from prison after five months locked up and denied bail while U.S. attorneys tried and failed to prosecute him, accusing him of being a threat to law enforcement and an illegal gun owner. Balogun, who lost his home and more while incarcerated, is believed to be the first person targeted and prosecuted under a secretive U.S. surveillance effort to track so-called, quote-unquote, black identity extremists. In a leaked August 2017 report from the FBI's Domestic Terrorism Analysis Unit, officials claimed that there had been a resurgence in ideologically motivated violent criminal activity, and that's in their quotes, uh, stemming from African Americans' perception of, ugh, they say their perception of police brutality. I, it's that time of the, it's that time of the episode where I try not to fucking throw things out the window in a rage. It's twelve twenty-four. Gonna take a few breaths here. The counterterrorism assessment provided minimal data or evidence of threats against police, but discussed a few isolated incidents, notably the case of Micah Johnson, who killed five officers in Texas. The report sparked backlash from civil rights groups and some Democrats who feared the government would use the broad designation to prosecute activists and groups like Black Lives Matter. Balogun, who was working full-time at, for an IT company when he was arrested, has long been an activist, co-founding Guerrilla Mainframe and the Huey P. Newton Gun Club, two groups fighting police brutality and advocating for the rights of black gun owners. Some of the work included coordinating meals for the homeless, youth picnics, and self-defense classes. But that's not what interested the FBI. Ugh. Investigators began monitoring Balogun, whose legal name is Christopher Daniels. I, okay, I don't know why they have to include that. Okay. After he participated in an Austin, Texas rally in March 2015, protesting against law enforcement, Special Agent Aaron Keeley testified in court. The FBI, Keeley said, learned of the protest from a video on InfoWars at Far Right Sun, Far Right Sun, a far right site run by the commentator Alex Jones, known for spreading false news and conspiracy theories. The reference to InfoWars stunned Balogun. 
They're using a conspiracy theorist video as a reason to justify their tyranny. That is a big insult. Keeley made no mention of Balogun's specific actions at the rally, but noted the marcher's anti-police statements such as oink oink, bang bang, and the only good pig is a pig that's dead. And those are also in quotes. The agent also mentioned Balogun's Facebook posts calling a murder suspect in a police officer's death a hero and expressing solidarity, and these are in quotes, solidarity with a man who killed officers in Texas when he posted, they deserve what they got. Keeley, however, later admitted the FBI had no evidence of Balogun making any specific threats about harming police. At the time of his Facebook post, Balogun said he was angry and venting about some of about the high-profile cases of police killing innocent black men and women in America, including Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. He was particularly disgusted with the way the media and law enforcement officials portrayed the killings as justified, and said that when he wrote those posts, quote, I just mimic their reactions to our killings. In a letter Balogun wrote to the Guardian from jail, he said he felt he had been abducted by the FBI, a prisoner of war on free speech and the right to bear arms. Authorities were targeting him for promoting black-led community groups and fighting government abuse, he wrote, adding, he was never a threat to anyone. Violence is a method of our oppressor. Our method is hard work, love, and unity. When he was arrested, police confiscated his 38 caliber handgun and an unloaded AK-style assault rifle, and also... Uh, and also, he said, took his book, Negroes with Guns, by the civil rights leader, Robert F. Williams. They were really desperate, Balogun said. This is pretty much like Stalin 1950. You show me the man, I show you the crime. The prosecution's case eventually unraveled, but in this process, so did Balogun's life. The government's own crime data has largely undermined the notion of a growing threat from a quote-unquote black identity extremist, BIE movement, a term invented by law enforcement. Uh, uh. Okay, I'm going to try not to yell in the microphone. Uh. Can you imagine a world where uh, law enforcement doesn't exist, where they don't have to fucking, they don't, I, okay, I'm going to go back to the article. Maybe we should do a breathing exercise on the show too. Just breathe in and out. Breathe out their, breathe in the truth, breathe out their nonsense. Okay, so they invited, they invented this term. The FBI invented this term. Uh, in addition to an overall decline in police deaths, most individuals who shoot and kill officers are white men. Maybe you should be going after the white men, guys. And white super. Okay, all right. Let me finish reading the sentence. I'm gonna start again. In addition to an overall decline in police deaths, most individuals who shoot and kill police officers are white men, and white supremacists have been responsible for nearly 75% of deadly extremist attacks since 2001. There's a fact for you. The BIE surveillance and failed prosecution of Balogun, first reported by foreign policy, have drawn comparisons to the government's discredited efforts to monitor and disrupt activists during the civil rights movement particularly the FBI counterintelligence program called Co COINTELPRO, which targeted Martin Luther King Jr., the NAACP, and the Black Panther Party. And they have a photo here of uh, Rakeem Balogun. Uh, Michael German, a former FBI agent and fellow with the Brennan Center for Justice's Liberty and National Security Program, said the BIE assessment was extraordinarily overbroad and that the concept was spreading to law enforcement agencies across the U.S. as more black activists were facing surveillance and police harassment. 
Authorities have not publicly labeled Balogun a BIE, but their language in court resembled the warnings in the FBI's file. German said the case also appeared to utilize a quote-unquote disruption strategy in which the FBI targets lower-level arrests and charges to interfere with suspects' lives as the agency struggles to build terrorism cases. Sometimes when you couldn't prove somebody was a terrorist, it's because they weren't a terrorist, he said, adding that prosecute, prosecutor's argument that Belugan was too dangerous to be released on bail was astonishing. It seems this effort was designed to punish him for his political activity rather than actually solve any sort of security issue. The official one-count indictment against Balogun was illegal far- firearm possession, with prosecutors alleging he was prohibited from owning a gun due to a 2007 misdemeanor domestic assault case in Tennessee. But this month, a judge rejected the charge, saying that the firearms law did not apply. The U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI declined to comment. For Balogun, who said that the Tennessee case stemmed from a dispute with a girlfriend and that he was pressured to plead guilty to get out of jail, the decision felt like a victory. But since his release one week ago, Balogun has also been forced to confront the harsh reality of life, of life post-incarceration. He lost his vehicle, job, and home. His son was forced to move and transfer schools, and Balogun missed much of the first year of his newborn daughter's life. This has been a nightmare for my entire family, he said, adding that he was still recovering from the monotony and isolation of incarceration. It was like living like a dog confined to a small backyard. Balogun said he also had to accept the fact that the government would probably continue to monitor to him and could seek new ways to disrupt his life. But the threat wouldn't stop him from organizing and speaking out, he added. As long as my community needs me to... To serve them, I'll be there. So again, you can find this article at theguardian.com. It was written by Sam Levin, and it came out today. Okay, with that, I think uh, time for a music break. Here's some more from the Troublemakers Union. A la tierra en que nacieron Al embrujo incomparable de su sol Todos vuelven al rincón donde vivieron Donde acaso floreció más de un amor Bajo el árbol solitario del silencio Tantas veces nos ponemos a soñar Todos vuelven por la ruta del recuerdo, pero el tiempo del amor no vuelve más. El aire que trae en su mano la flor del pasado, su aroma de ayer, Nos dice muy quedo al oído su canto aprendido del amanecer. Nos dice con voz misteriosa de nardo y de rosa 
de luna y de miel que santo es el amor de la tierra que triste la ausencia que dejó el ayer que santo es el amor de la tierra que triste la ausencia que dejó el ayer
right, and welcome back. Again, that was the Troublemakers Union with Todos Vaven, uh, which is Everyone Returns. Coming up, I promised, I didn't promise, I mentioned that there would be some positive news stories, or at least one, and so we got one positive news story, and we're also going to read something from history. So I find it's really reassuring just to hear about things that I maybe did not learn in school or otherwise movements of the people around the world to fight for their rights. So we'll be doing that two positive stories in a row, and then we'll get back to other things that are happening in the world. And thanks again so much for listening. If you would like to support Mutiny Radio, our, the rent at the building's going up. So and we all, you know, we pay rent to take, have our shows here. So you can donate directly to Mutiny Radio. If you go to mutinyradio.fm, there's a donate button on the page. Also, if you come to shows here, you can, we have a little jar that you can donate to as well. If you have a few extra bucks, uh, anything is helpful. And also, if you'd like to donate to the show in particular, there's a Patreon that's up, patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. The uh, thanks to all the folks who are donating on a monthly basis. And uh, right now we're able to fully cover the costs of renting the space. And if you'd like to donate, um, if you don't donate and would like to, please do so. A dollar a month would be super helpful. So please consider that as well. And thanks again to all the folks who donate, all the folks who listen, all the folks who spread the word, and all the folks out there living your life in these really tumultuous times. Okay, but on to something positive. And if you're someone who likes to hear sad news, don't worry. We got some more stories for you. <laughs> okay. Coming up now is a story that's coming from Pakistan. <laughs> Perhaps we'll have a positive story in the U.S. Oh, yeah, there is one. There is one. Well, I think it's positive. We'll get to that one, too. Okay, but coming up, this is from Al Jazeera, um, which you can find at aljazeera.com. And this came out on May 9th. Uh, Pakistan addresses landmark transgender rights law. Yay. Okay. Activists laud moved by Pakistan's parliament as new law accords transgender citizens right to self-identify, as we all should have the right to self-identify. Yes. This this was written by Assad Hashim. And again, it came out on May 9th. Islamabad, Pakistan. Pakistan's parliament has passed a law guaranteeing basic rights for transgender citizens and outlawing discrimination by both employers and private business owners. A move hailed by activists as historic for the conservative South Asian country. Members of parliament voted to pass the wide-ranging Transgender Persons Protection of Rights Act in the capital, Islamabad, on Tuesday. The law accords citizens the right to self-identify as male, female, or a blend of both genders. (sighs) Yay! And to have that identity registered on all official documents, including national identification cards, passports, driver's licenses, and education certificates. And I know there are certain states here in the U.S. where they're, they've got similar things. How about if we get that everywhere? That would be awesome. Also, if we're going to talk about like an ideal world, maybe we don't have documents with our names on them and our genders. That would also be... Okay, baby steps, and I don't mean to down-talk anything positive that's happening. So, yes... In an ideal world, if we have to have these <laughs> these government IDs, yes, absolutely, everyone should be able to identify as they are, and also protection from job discrimination, because a lot of folks face that. Okay, cool. Okay, 
The law guarantees citizens the right to express their gender as they wish and to a gender identity that is defined as a person's innermost and individual sense of self as male, female, or a blend of both, or neither, and that can correspond or not to the si- not and or not to the sex assigned at birth. I thought this would never be achieved in my lifetime, but I am fortunate to have seen my own parliament pass this bill, veteran transgender activist Bindia Rana told Al Jazeera. In fighting for this bill, we were not fighting for those tra- we were not fighting for those transgender people who have already lived 40 or 50 years, she said. We have been fighting for the next generation of transgender Pakistanis. While no reliable official figures exist for the number of transgender citizens in Pakistan, advocacy group TransAction has estimated that at least 500,000 of the country's 207 million population identifies as transgender. The country's 2017 national census put the number of transgender citizens at 10,418, a number that has been widely disputed by members of the community. Often shunned by mainstream society, Pakistani transgender citizens find themselves vulnerable to being forced into begging, sex work, or dancing to survive. South Asian society also has, however, traditionally venerated transgender people, particularly transgender women, known as Kawaja Sira, as having spiritual powers and the ability to bestow blessings upon others. We have been considered only fit to sing and dance at weddings, and that's it, said Rana. We have been facing human rights violations in that we are denied jobs based on our status, she added. Police will not file cases if someone has committed a crime against us. Several attacks targeting transgender activists took place in Pakistan last year, particularly in the northwestern Khyber uh, Khyber Pakhtunkhwa province, according to the Human Rights Commission of Pakistan. The new law explicitly bans any discrimination against transgender citizens by employers, educational institutions, healthcare providers, transportation service providers, and any private business or service provider. It also calls for the establishment of government-run protection centers for transgender citizens who feel at risk. It guarantees, trend, it guarantees transgender citizens their right to inheritance, often disputed under some interpretations of Islamic law, to run for public office, to assembly, to have access to public places, and several other specific rights. Activists in the community say that while there are concerns regarding the implementation of the law, it is a huge step forward for transgender rights in Pakistan. I believe that it will make a positive impact on the ground, said uh, Melab Jamil, who was one of the several rights activists and lawyers involved in drafting the legislation. Laws can only go so far with a community that is so marginalized, especially economically, that they often don't know what their own rights are, she added. Jamil said the new law also provides a base for activists to amend other sections of Pakistan's criminal and penal code that are problematic or create gray areas around crimes committed against transgender citizens. The majority of people in the community never want to report sexual violence, rape, or harassment because they are worried that they would be blamed by the police. That sounds familiar. So this law allows us to do further advocacy work to amend other problematic laws and policies. Amnesty International's Pakistan researcher Rabia Mahmood praised the move. This bill makes Pakistan one of the few countries in the world to recognize the self-perceived gender identity of transgender individuals, Mahmoud said. The country's transgender community has very high hopes from this bill. Its implementation is therefore crucial to ensure they can live their lives with dignity and respect. Ha! So good things are happening in the world. Important to remember that. When I when I prepare for the show, if and when I prepare for the show, there there are certain articles that I have lined up, and I 
I never get to all of them, and sometimes it's by chance or that it's it's really by chance the ones that that come up and that pull up. And I do like to have segues, and I also like to make sure. I mean, there's so many different things to talk about, and one never gets to all of them. And I want to you know spread that out throughout the different shows, and also focus on the main themes and systemic oppression because that seems to be the thing around the world. And also how how do people resist to it? How do we know what's going on, and how can we all fight back? And so I have like a lot of the tabs open at the beginning of the show or as I go through the show, like, oh yeah, I'll talk about this. I'll talk about this. And it's, uh, so sometimes I go in, in order other times it's like, oh, I don't want to, ugh, ugh. Well, maybe this one. Okay. So initially I said I was going to, okay, there will be another positive. There'll be two more positive stories. I think they're positive coming out. However, the one that just popped up, uh, randomly, well, not random. I mean, everything, I don't know. It happened. Okay, so I think it also just kind of corresponds to the first two stories that we read initially talking about law enforcement targeting black folks and then the the next article is transgender citizens in in Pakistan uh, getting protected, feeling more protected. And here, so we can put those two together where it's like, okay. And then this third one is just like, it's... I don't really have a, there's so many things to get enraged about. I'm just going to read it. (laughs) No, there's no need for me to continue to. Okay. This is from The Root and it's written by Monique Judge and it came out on Tuesday. Protect and Serve Act would make police a protected class and violence against them, would make police a protected class and violence against them a hate crime. Yeah, you heard that. That's That's not an Onion article. That's a real thing that's fucking happening. Because having being able to fucking carry weapons and to be able to get away with killing people is somehow that's not enough. And having a really high salary. Oh my gosh. On Tuesday, Congress introduced the Protect and Serve Act. Legislation created to address vi- to address violence against police. Sure, Jan. The House of Representatives and the Senate introduced their individual versions of the bill with the Senate version designating violence against police a federal hate crime. How about the violence that police do against people, the human beings here? How about that violence? Can we address that? Can we make that a, a, a felony? Can we make that a some, an issue that needs to be discussed? Why? <sighs> okay. <sighs> Breathing. The House version, they have a PDF of the bill, makes it a crime to knowingly cause or attempt to cause, quote-unquote, serious bodily injury to a law enforcement officer. The crime is punishable by 10 years in prison if the crime results in the death of a law enforcement officer or the crime involves kidnapping or the attempt to kidnap or kill a law enforcement officer, then the sentence can be up to life in prison. The Senate version was introduced by Senators Orrin Hatch, Republican from Utah, and Heidi Heitkamp, a Democrat from North Dakota. See, Democrats, this is why <laughs> this is why a lot of us have no little to no faith in you. Okay. Uh, okay. And if you, I don't know, I really honestly I don't know who's listening to the show, aware of this, if you are happen to be a, a Democrat, if you happen to have any, why not call out your, your colleagues on this? Why not say, hey, what are you doing? Of all the bill, of all the things out, okay. 
using language that mirrors the language used in hate crime laws aimed at protecting marginalized groups. This bill would make it a federal hate crime to knowingly cause bodily injury to any person or attempt to do so because of the actual or perceived status of the person as a law enforcement officer. From the outset, this type of legislation is wholly unnecessary. Police already have laws protecting them at both the federal and state levels. These bills serve only to further the myth that there is a war against police happening. This is simply not the case. Calling for police accountability is not the same thing as waging a war against police, but it is viewed as such by those who think that questioning the police about anything is wrong. Excuse me. Making my own sound effects here. Oh, yes. I brought a crystal. I know some folks may be like, uh, crystals? Really? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to this crystal because I have a lot of anger right now. And if I can hold on to something, I'm going to release that anger as I read this article. Okay. There are those who believe that the police should be able to act with impunity, and they will back that belief with legislation like the Protection, Protect and Serve Act. The Senate version makes police a protected class, something that up until now was reserved for marginalized groups because crimes against them often went unacknowledged, uninvestigated, and unpunished. There are no statistics to show that police are in any more danger now than they have previously been. There are no statistics to show that police are being attacked or otherwise harmed at higher rates. And actually, as we've read before, there's actually a lower rate of attacks against them. There is nothing to back the belief that police need even further special protection under the law. Exactly what constitutes violence against a police officer? Does the manner in which a police officer receives injury determine whether or not that particular instance will be viewed as a hate crime? If a police officer goes to grab your arm and you instinctively pull away... Oh, okay, I'm gonna... Bringing up a lot for me. This instance is bringing up a lot for me. So... So if a police officer goes to grab your arm and you instinctively pull away, your nails accidentally scratching him or her as you do so, are you now guilty of a hate crime against a police officer? How and when will these laws be enforced and against whom? Kanye Bennett, legislative counsel at the Washington Legislative Office at the American Civil Liberties Union, said in a statement, the bill serves, this bill serves no purpose other than to further dangerous and divisive narratives that there is a quote-unquote war on police. The House creation of a new criminal statute for offenses against police is superfluous given the many existing federal and state laws that protect law enforcement officers specifically. The Senate's version is nothing short of offensive to historically persecuted and marginalized communities across this country. Federal hate crimes laws were passed to correct the centuries of inaction and injustice that too often was the response to violence based on immutable traits and identities, including race, gender, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, and disability. This definition, under no possible interpretation, could include being a member of law enforcement. Congress should vote this down quickly and decisively. The ACLU, along with Human Rights Watch, the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, and the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, wrote a letter to the Senate asking that senators oppose the introduction and co-sponsorship of this bill, writing in part, extending hate crimes protections to law enforcement officers is a profoundly inappropriate and misguided proposal for several reasons. First, Imagine singing this like the new kids on the block. Step one, like the step-by-step -step song. I'm trying to add some humor into the situation because this is fucking outrageous and disturbing. Okay, step one. Police already have substantial protections under federal and state law, rendering this bill superfluous. 
Step two, second, <laughs> hate crimes laws are intended to extend protection to historically persecuted groups that have experienced a history of systemic discrimination based on a personal characteristic, such as race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, and d- disability. Law enforcement officers are not a historically persecuted group. Step three, it's just you and me. Okay, that's going to be, <laughs> this is why I often don't sing in public, nor do I sing New Kids on the Block songs. Step three, third, this bill is, this bill signals that there is, that there is a quote unquote war on police, which is not only untrue, but an unhelpful and dangerous narrative to uplift. Step four, I can give you more. Bills similar to protect and serve that have been introduced in states around the country, so-called, quote-unquote, Blue Lives Matter. I can't even... I feel like I need to wash out my mouth for just saying those three words in unison. Those bills appear to be a political response to the growing national movement for police accountability in the face of continued killings and assaults of unarmed African Americans. Therefore, this bill is divisive and will have a negative impact on the relationship between law enforcement and the communities they serve but they, they're actually, who do they actually serve? And they don't have a step five here or a number five. But I will add the question that folks ask, who are you serving and who are you protecting? I think a lot of us know that answer. This is one to keep an eye on. So again, this was written by Monique Judge and you can find this at theroot.com. And we've also shared this on our Facebook page, which you can follow, you can like, whatever, at facebook.com forward slash weekly rep. Speaking of Facebook, I'm going to make a segue into the next story. I'm only going to read a few lines of it because we're already at, it's almost, it's 1259. We're halfway through the show. There's a lot more to get to. And I did promise some positive uplifting things. Question mark. My voice goes up. (laughs) And this is from The Intercept. Uh, I appreciate The Intercept. And again, we're reading the stories that we hear about. And of course, also acknowledging this is what we hear. So, Providing this information. I don't know. Is there context? Uh, you get it. We get it. So if you go to The Intercept, there's a, ri- there's a written. <laughs> there's a written. There's an article that was written by David Diane that came out on May 9th. This new tool helps you turn off Facebook surveillance and reclaim some privacy. And a lot of folks have said the best way is just to get off Facebook entirely. For a lot of us who are uh, artists, it's um, a way to promote oneself and to share information, I guess, for activists as well. I know it's it's a double-edged sword in a way where there's one way we can communicate and share information and spread the word because I, I get that there are other platforms out there and for the time being, maybe I'm late to the party. There's some I've heard about. I haven't really investigated as much as I should. Please, by all means, let me know. Tell me the other, let's let us build other ways of communicating that are more secure. Absolutely. I'm all for that. In the meantime, some of us are still on Facebook and how can we make that better how do we cut out some of the surveillance and reclaim some privacy well there's an article that tells you just how to do that and i'm gonna read a little bit about it and again go if you go to the article they will provide the links so you can do that again it's at the intercept typically ad campaigns have the goal of getting people to do something but the one launched today by the activist group citizens against monopoly is instead intended to show how hard something is to do the campaign called i'm not your product gives Facebook users a step-by-step guide of, by, to opting out of as much ad targeting and surveillance as possible. Facebook CEO Zuck told Congress that users have complete control over advertising data. And again, that's in quotes, complete control. 
Maybe I should play that Clash song a little bit later. During two days of testimony related to the political consultancy Cambridge Analytica, which illicitly obtained information on 87 million Facebook users. But Citizens Against Monopoly discovered that Facebook makes it difficult to exert that sort of control. The steps for opting out of ad targeting are almost endless. Visiting 11 different areas of Facebook's user preferences section, clearing out three different caches of personal interests, disallowing four different types of ads, and limiting seven different actions on the site to friends only. And even all that doesn't completely turn off ads. Um, Okay, I'll continue reading just a few more paragraphs. We wanted to create a how-to guide to be helpful. And then as we were working through it, we thought, this is so frustrating, said Sarah Miller, director of Citizens Against Monopoly. We think people will have the same experience seeing how intentionally hard this is. The likely reason for the friction around opting out is obvious. Facebook thrives off mass data collection, essentially renting people's private information out to advertisers. The more users opt out, the less profitable Facebook Inc. becomes a financial a financial incentive that is at odds with the social network's self-presentation as a safe, private, customizable space. There's more to the article, and if you'd like to read it, do check out The Intercept. And again, this article came out on May 9th. The title is... This new tool helps you turn off Facebook's privates. Private. <laughs> this. This new tool helps you turn off Facebook's surveillance and reclaim some privacy. I'm going to share this right now on Facebook. Ironically enough, on our weekly review page. Again, you can follow us on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev, I post. I post. <laughs> I post a lot of articles there. Um, you can check that out. All right. I feel like it's time for a music break. We've got some stories coming up for you. I did mention uh, in in that article there was uh, complete control. Uh, the words complete control. So I feel like why not play the song by The Clash, Complete Control. I haven't heard this in a minute. And so, yeah. So we're going to do that. And we'll be back uh We'll be back in a bit. Doll, 
my control. Control of what I say, control of what I do. And this time I'm gonna do it my way. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Are we ready? I am. Cause it's all about control. And I've got lots of it.
All right. That was Janet Jackson with Control. And before that, we heard The Clash with Complete Control. Perhaps from now on, we will be inspired by some of the statements in these articles we read and that will influence our music. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to go to one story, but I'll go to a different one. We'll see how much I want to read, and then we'll get to more. It's 114. You listen to Mutiny Radio. Thank you so much for listening in, and thanks to all the folks who donate. Again, you can donate if you go to mutinyradio.fm. You can donate directly to the station, and or if you'd like to donate to the show, patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. From The Intercept, a North Carolina sheriff doubled down on cooperation with ICE, so voters gave him the boot. I, am, I can definitely be very cynical when it comes to electoral politics, and I am all for creating a new way of being. And in the meantime, when folks do things through voting uh, that help people, I am, of course, all for that. So this comes from John Thompson. It came out on May 9th. I'll, I'll read the. Oh, it's going to be a long one. But maybe uh, folks can read that. Uh, maybe I'll come back to it. So that's a positive thing. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll come back to that if possible. If not, you can check it out at The Intercept. That feels good. So I think that's the good summary there. Uh, folks taking back the power from people in positions of power who are affiliating with ICE. We There have been uh, also, there's just been a number of stories of ICE going in and harassing people and separating families, and it's fucking disgusting. And wanting to acknowledge that that's happening as well. Again, law enforcement. Yet they see themselves as someone who needs to be a protected class when they're going around harming people. It's fucking disgusting. Oh, this next article is also disgusting. I was going to get to the positive one. However, it's going as I uh, as I click through the tabs. It's like, oh, this one again. I forgot about that. Okay, I'll read the title of it, and you can get angry with me. From The Guardian, wealthy San Francisco tech investors bankroll bid to ban homeless camps. Hey, here's an idea. If you're fucking wealthy in San Francisco, why don't you provide housing for people? I hope that didn't hurt your ears. I was trying to step away from the mic. Well, not step away. I'm sitting. If you have the fucking resources, donate it to the Coalition on Homelessness who actually works with folks or the HOT team, the outreach team who actually goes and works with folks. If you have the funds... Pushing people away isn't going to solve the problem. It's going to make it worse, idiots. So that article is in The Guardian. You can check that out. It's written by Julia Carey Wong, and it came out. Oh, this was um, back a couple years ago. My mistake. However, we see that there's still the money is still involved with uh, our interim mayor, who is making the sweeps legal. My apologies for not reading the date. However, these folks are still in San Francisco and they're still getting their way because they are, when you have money, unfortunately, folks can use that to cause harm to others. I don't regret yelling about it though. It wasn't really yelling. It was more an exasperated. Ugh. So that was from the Guardian. This is from two falls ago, October, 2016. And but might as well still talk about it, though, because the swoops are still happening, and they're happening in the East Bay as well. Fucking disgusting. Shame on you if you take part in those. If you're following orders that harm people, shame on you. I don't think they really listen to the show. Maybe maybe someone who listens to the show knows folks, and I understand under capitalism it's fucking difficult. A lot of the jobs that are offered involve harming someone else. I get that. And let's... <sighs> wanting to be positive here. Speak... Speak into being that there can be ways folks can exist in this world and survive without causing harm to others. 
I know that sounds outrageous. It's like, Roman, what are you talking about? That's bizarre. Maybe we can, maybe that can happen. Maybe not this generation or the next. Maybe we can speak that into existence. That folks can survive without causing harm to others. That can be a mantra. Let's make that happen. Um, all right, here's the article I was going to get to. And again, this is, again, I haven't said it yet in the first place. However, I recognize I read from different news sources and I might not share. I should also say that I might not share the same opinions. Often I do. I'm not going to purposely uh, share an article that comes from a voice that I highly disagree with. However, oftentimes if very few places cover the footage, they might kind of take it with a tone I don't necessarily agree with or a point of view I don't agree with. However, they are providing something that has happened. So I'm uh, putting, so they have uh, controversial murals is there is the headline, controversial murals, as opposed to the policies that are in place uh, and actions that are, which, you know, it's like saying something's controversial, it's interesting what people choose to say is controversial and what people choose to say is problematic and troubling. And a lot of things that are fucking troubling are swept under the rug and are made into law. Ooh, yeah, I said that. SFGate, uh, this is written by Alex Martichu came out on May 6th of this year. I got an article from this year. Most of the articles are from this week or the last two weeks. Occasionally, the one slips in that you're like, oh yeah, this happened a while ago. Anyway, I'm going to forgive myself for that. They say a controversial mural at California school shows Trump's head on a spear. <laughs> you can check this out at sfgate.com. Maybe I'll share this. I think I, I'll probably also share this. I'm going to share this again. I know I've shared it on well, at least a couple pages, but why not? share it again here so folks can also see the visual because when we're, we're sharing artwork here. So I'm going to share this right now on the Facebook weekly review webpage. I think I already did. Why is it not? Go? Mm. Okay. Well, you can go directly to, for some reason. I'm unable to do that at the moment to the page. I want to share it to maybe because I was talking shit about Facebook earlier. Leave. Okay. But if you go to the SF gate, it came out on May 6th. You can see it for yourself. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. They also have photos here, which I'm going to maybe click through later. It says, the 45 presidency has been marked by reactionary, they say reactionary, murals that have caused controversy over the world. So the murals have caused controversy, but not actual fucking ICE agents, you know, breaking into people's houses and arresting people for no fucking reason at all, other than people believe in these imaginary borders. If you're upset, you're upset about that artwork, but you're not upset about the actions people are taking or Jeff fucking Sessions and his nonsense. Okay. Let me, let me finish. <laughs> How far can I get without? And I think a lot about like newscasters and I get that like a lot of the news is biased and they have like a certain, especially with Sinclair Broadcasting, there was the video that was released recently that showed dozens of newscasters all reading the same text and you're like wow this is all just there's no it's not organic it's not uh, uh truthful what's the word i'm looking for I'm looking for another word that's like along those lines honest there's another word i'm looking for i'll get to it authentic yeah none of that and what was my point? Oh, here it's like almost the, it's because you, you would imagine that if I had to go to if I was hired as a newscaster and had to read these, I would be like so fucking upset. I'd be like, the fuck, the cops are doing what? 
people in positions of power in the White House are doing what? I would just fucking lose it. I'd probably throw a lot of things. Maybe I'm not. I don't throw things here. So, and maybe that's because I respect the, the radio station and when I, you know. However, I can't. How do you go night after night after night and have to read about what's happening and not lose your fucking shit? That's a question. I don't know. Someone can tell me. And perhaps it's because of the certain stuff that they're reading about or they're talking about fluff pieces instead. Like, this dog got lost and found his way home. I mean, that's always a nice story. However, that doesn't, uh, <laughs> that's, okay. I'm going to, why, why am I stalling? Why am I stalling? <laughs> All right. A new mural. Okay, so they have a, they have clicked to see some of the most controversial. We'll see about that. All right. I'm personally more, again, more offended by people in positions of power harming folks than I am about artwork. That's just me. I can't speak for anyone else. A new mural at Chula Vista Charter School at a Chula Vista Charter School stirred controversy as soon as the paint dried. Depicted in colorful spray paint on the wall at the MAAC Community Charter School near San Diego. Oh, cool. Okay. Is an Aztec warrior with a skull and feathered headdress, human heart in hand, alongside another warrior with a jaguar headdress holding up his kill, the President of the United States. A recently revealed mural shows Donald Trump's decapitated head on a spear. A local television news reporter reported the mural to a KUSI reporter who began investigating the story on Monday. Gotta investigate the art. We can't investigate cops killing people. We can't investigate fucking Jeff Sessions. We can't investigate Mitch McConnell. We can't investigate all sorts of fucking actual harm happening. We have to investigate an art piece. That's great. That's rich. The school's director, Tommy Ramirez, told the station the artwork was part of an annual fundraiser called Battlegrounds, which celebrates street art and raises money for student scholarships. And a few days after, after a few days of increased attention, the portion of the mural depicting the president was covered. Oh, no! No! This is supposed to be one of the happy stories of the day! They f- I'm really disappointed and really upset about this. Okay, so they covered it by a black tarp on Wednesday, according to KUSI. The artist, Sasha Andrade, responded by sharing a picture of the full mural on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with a caption. They can try to censor it, but here it is, guys. But here it is, guys. All right. And then there's another, there's a lot of different things connected to this. Um, Okay, so the ACLU is saying it's a violation of uh, free speech. And if that is, there's a few different pieces here included in this article. So I'm doing my best to include it all as I verbalize what's happening. And then the video, um, it's not quite playing. Okay. This might be another place. Uh, The city ordered a central city property owner to take the mural down, which the ACLU says is a violation of his right to free speech. And it's unclear if this is the same one we're talking about or a different mural. Oh, okay. We understand that there is was a mural painted at the event this past weekend that does not align with our school's philosophy of nonviolence. Mm. Ramirez said in a statement to the Washington Post, we have been in communication with the artist who has agreed to modify the artwork to better align with the school's philosophy. Mm. Well, if you would like to see the mural, you can go to the SF Gate webpage. And I'm also going to take a look here. Uh, there's one that's... It's... Uh, all right, I'm going to, I don't know how to describe these. Uh, swipe to the next slide. All right, there's some other ones there you can also take a look at. Um, I say much gratitude to this artist for creating this. That's my statement on it. All right, next article, I'm going to read just the, this is from the 
uh, MSN, um, courtesy of the Washington Post, uh, written by Megan Flynn, came out two days ago. She saved thousands to open a medical clinic in Nigeria. U.S. Customs took it all at the airport. Antonia Nwari spent years saving up thousands of dollars to open a medical clinic in Nigeria where she was born. Finally, last October, she walked down a jet bridge at Houston's Bush fucker, in an intercontinental airport to board the plane to get there. The 59-year-old registered nurse had more than $37,000 in her carry-on bag and $4,000 in her purse. It was all cash, stowed in separate envelopes, some of it earmarked to help ill or aging family members. In her checked luggage, she packed medical supplies and over-the-counter medication, which she planned to use to provide free, basic care and checkups to anyone who needed it. But she couldn't make it there. Just as she was about to board the flight to Nigeria, agents with U.S. Customs and Border Protection stopped her. <sighs> I'm sorry I'm yelling in your ear. I'm really fucking angry. How many people are you carrying money for? The agent asked her. She recalled in an interview with the Washington Post, how many people are you traveling with? Before Nawari could even open her mouth, she said, the agent asked another question, how long have you been in the United States? The questioning threw her off guard. She explained she had legally earned the money and she was alone. Nawari, who lives in Katy, Texas, became a U.S. citizen since... Uh, has been a U.S. citizen since 1994. She showed her passport, thinking perhaps they were questioning her legal status. The agents took her to a room to search her and her luggage anyway. They seized all $41,377. It felt like I was a criminal, she said. I felt so humiliated, so petrified, too. They were talking amongst themselves, saying how this is how people smuggle money out of the country. This is how they do it. What? What? (sighs) Maybe I need to bring another crystal next time. More than six months later, Customs and Border Protection still has not given her her money back. Still has not given back her money. This despite the fact that the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of Texas did not bring a civil asset forfeiture forfeiture case against her or charge her with any crime. The infraction she committed was failing to declare the money to Customs before traveling. Uh Uh-huh. According to the agency's website, there is no limit on the amount of money that can be taken out of the country, but if a traveler is is carrying more than $10,000 in currency. They must fill out a declaration, a rule she said she did not know existed. The agency told her in April it would give her back the money under one condition, that they fucking actually do something good for her. Okay, I'm gonna leave my comments aside. And again, just wanting to live in a just world, just society. People who are trying to help people end up being stopped. And that's why we're at where we're at. Okay, that she had to give up her right to sue the federal. Okay, they, ugh. The agency told her in April, ugh, 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 that should be the, the tagline of the show, the weekly review, ugh, the agency told her in April it would give back her money under one condition, that she would give up her right to sue the federal government, it's called the Hold Harmless Agreement, the condition her attorney says violates Nawari's first basic First Amendment rights to petition the government for grievances, Nawari didn't sign it, deciding mm, to sue instead, excuse me. This is just about as unconstitutional as it gets, said Noir's attorney, Dan Alban, of the Institute for Justice, which specializes in civil asset forfeiture. They're requiring her to trade her right to the property in exchange for giving up these other rights. Does she want her right to property, or does she want to give up her right to the First Amendment? They're sending these agreements out not just to out to not just to Antonia, but we think hundreds or thousands of people every year. A spokeswoman for the U.S. Custom and Border Protection declined to comment for this story, citing pending litigation, and would not answer general questions about CBP's hold, hold harmless agreement policy. CBP seizes property from people more than 
120,000 times a year, according to the federal lawsuit filed last week in a federal court in Houston. To get the property back, individuals have two options. They can argue for their property using CBP's administrative process, in which case Albin uh, said a hold harmless agreement wouldn't be unusual, or they can go the route Nawari chose, leaving it to federal prosecutors to decide whether to pursue civil asset forfeiture within 90 days. According to the documents provided to the Post, prosecutors declined to pursue a case against Nawari. The lawsuit states that under the Civil Asset Forfeiture Reform Act, the government should have been required to promptly release Nawari's $41,000 to her, no questions asked. Alban contends that forcing a person to agree not to sue the government and pay and to pay the government's legal fees if CBP has to enforce the agreement in court is an unconstitutional condition. Ugh. All right, this the article goes on for a few more paragraphs. You can check it out if you go to msn.com, and we've also shared that on the Weekly Review webpage. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Speaking of ugh, this week in ugh, uh, this was reported in several places. However, the article I'm reading from is from the freethoughtproject.com, and I'm also ready for another fucking music break. I don't know about you when I just hear about all this. Elderly retired CIA analyst dragged from Senate hearing for exposing Gina Haspel's war crimes. A highly decorated retired CIA analyst was forcibly removed by a half dozen cops as he attempted to expose the crimes of the nominee for director of the CIA, Gina Haspel. And this was written by Matt Agorist, and it came out on May 9th, 2018. Washington, D.C. Retired CIA analyst and outspoken anti-war activist Ray McGovern, who chaired the National Intelligence Estimates and prepared the president's daily brief, was forcibly removed from the United States Senate Intelligence Committee hearing Wednesday as Gina Haspel, the nominee for director of the CIA, was answering questions about her record of torture. McGovern is a highly decorated CIA analyst who received the Intelligence Commendation Medal at his retirement. He has since been... He has since become an outspoken anti-war and anti-police state activist and returned the medal in 2006 in protest to the CIA's involvement in torture. McGovern is also a veteran of the Vietnam War, which adds to his already high level of credibility in speaking out against the system. During the hearing, McGovern demanded that Haspel answer the questions asked of her about the f- the, f- <laughs> the tour. <laughs> the torture of terrorism suspects at the CIA black site in Thailand. In response to the interruption, the Capitol Police were called in to drag McGovern out. As the video shows, within only seconds, he was sworn by police who shoved him out the door and into the lobby. He was then thrown to the ground as he pleaded with officers not to hurt his dislocated shoulder. As the struggle to subdue the elderly McGovern continued, police repeatedly yelled, stop resisting, to which he replied, I am not. Before McGovern was forcibly removed by police, Haspel was interrupted by another protester. This time, it was a lone woman wearing a red t-shirt shouting, Bloody Gina! And you're a torturer! She was also moved by, removed by police. According to CIA whistleblower John Kirakow, Bloody Gina was a name given to her by her own colleagues in the CIA. According to Kirakow, Haspel even took part in the torture because she enjoyed it. As TFTP reported... Uh, that's the, the Free Thought Project reported on Wednesday. Haspel, 62, joined the CIA in 1985 and was named Deputy Group Chief by the, of the agency's Counterterrorism Center in 2001. She was then assigned to oversee a secret CIA black site prison in Thailand in 2002. The prison, codenamed Cat's Eye, was one of the locations where alleged Al-Qaeda members were detained and tortured. In addition to overseeing the torture, Reuters reported that Haspel... 
carried out in order to destroy videotapes of the waterboarding and other torture methods after she was instructed to do so by the Bush administration. While Haspel was not mentioned by name, an anonymous female CIA official with her credentials was mentioned in a 2013 report from the Washington Post, which claimed that she was not chosen to lead the agency's clandestine clandestine service because of her direct involvement in its Bush-era torture programs. And they say, uh, quote, the officer who is undercover served as director of the National Clandestine, Clandestine Service on an interim basis over the past two months, and many considered her a front runner to keep the post, which involves overseeing the CIA's spying operations worldwide. But she faced opposition because of her extensive role in an interrogation program that critics have said relied on torture to get information from Al-Qaeda captives after the September 11th, 2001 attacks. She had run a secret prison in Thailand where two detainees were subjected to waterboarding and other harsh techniques. Other harsh techniques. She later helped order the destruction of videotapes of those interrogation sessions. When retired CIA analysts are being dragged by police out of a Senate hearing for exposing the horrendous crimes of the person being appointed to head the CIA, it speaks to the level of tyranny which has taken hold in America. If you haven't been, now may be a good time to start paying attention. And they have a video here as well. And again, you can find this at thefreethoughtproject.com. And I've also seen this reported on other websites. There's more stories to get to, and it's 135. What are we going to do? I want to take a break. I'm going to read a few headlines. <sighs> Kern County Sheriff is caught on tape saying it costs less to kill suspects than to wound them. That's from the LA Times. This came out on April 10th, 2018. You can check that out. Also, uh, there has been a constant war on on trans women and another woman was killed in Dallas recently so going to share some information about that and then we will have a moment of silence after that and take a bit of a break and then we'll be back and we have a historical story we'll get to and there's so much more just one thing after the other. Oh, goodness. It feels it feels never-ending. And if the show were a 24-hour show, we still would not get to everything. And um, so if you go to t- uh, transgrio.blogspot.com, which is T-R-A-N-S-G-R-I-O-T dot blogspot.com, number nine, rest in power, Carla Patricia Pavone. And I'll read a bit of this article. Uh, Once again, it's my sad duty to inform you that we have lost another trans woman due to anti-trans violence. The location for this latest trans murder is right up I-45 from the author in Dallas, Texas. Our sister we lost too soon is Carla Patricia Flores Pavon. She was just 26 years old. And the Facebook page has her name starting with a K. The police has her name with a C. just 26 years old. And so they're looking to collect information on uh, when a vigil is being planned. So we'll take a moment of silence. Uh, 
We'll play some music, and we'll be back with a historical story after this.
Okay. Sorry about that. That was the band Hers, H-I-R-S. You can find them at hirs.bandcamp.com. Some good angry trans music. Ah! <sighs> Lots of songs there. Um, you can check them all out. Again, hirs.bandcamp.com. The title of that last song was Assigned to Cop at Birth. Lots of really, if you listen, really good lyrics there. Um, you can follow them and also buy their album. Please do buy their album. Support artists. Um, again, the Hers Collective, hirs.bandcamp.com. You can buy their digital album there as well or send that as a gift and it's streaming and downloadable. Please do support them. Okay. So I promised, I didn't promise. I mentioned that there would be another story, historical story, positive thing. Cool. All right. And this is from this day in history initially from, uh, there's a working class history page on Facebook. <laughs> and this day in history, May 11th, 1923, after months of agitation, 150 mostly female rent strikers who had been jailed in the Mexican town of Veracruz the previous year were freed by the governor. The women had organized strikes in detention and fought with prison guards while workers outside threatened a general strike for their freedom. The tenants left the jail in groups of 10, the women wearing cream dresses and straw hats with red ribbons, while their supporters sang songs, shouted slogans, and set off firecrackers. The group then paraded through the main streets of the city to the office of the renters' union, where they declared their commitment to continue their direct action against landlords. It's funny how almost 100 years ago, (laughs) and still fighting some of the same battles. And there's a little bit more about the story at libcom.org end of the history and this uh, was posted on january 2nd 2012 if you'd like to take a look at it i'll read a little bit about this um when female sex workers in the veracruz working class neighborhood of la huaca quit paying rent to their landlords in february of 1922 they sparked a social protest that would soon involve more than half the city's population fed up with bad housing conditions excessive rents and constant harassment by rent collectors residents of some of the port's poorest neighborhoods along with local anarchists and members of the mexican communist party founded the revolutionary syndicate of tenants Sin- sindicato revolucionario de en Inquilinos, uh, directed by local agitator Heron Peral. As the mobilization grew, protesters first called for specific housing reforms, but then added a number of other demands influenced by the internationalist ideals of the time, the abolition of private property, the emancipation of workers, and the eventual elimination of the state. Yay! I told you there's a happy story from history. Still working on this. <sighs> Demonstrations involved hundreds of men, women, and children. By the end of May, approximately 30,000 had stopped paying rent. At this time, the occupants of more than 100 tenements, Patios de Vecindad, Vecindad consisting of a collection of rooms situated around a central courtyard where residents shared cooking and bathing facilities, displayed red banners and signs which read, I am on strike and not paying rent. Estoy en huelga y no pago renta. Once the protest was underway, regular confrontations between landlords, tenement administrators, uncooperative renters, market salespeople, police, and politicians helped create a tumultuous social climate that persisted for much of the 1920s. With the help of populist governor Aldalberto Tejada, Tejeda, excuse me, uh, protesters established what they called the Communist Settlement Colonia Comunista on the edge of town and also began organizing rural workers throughout the state, adding to the vibrant 
oppositional culture in the port that included militant action by organized labor. Some radical tenants contributed articles to the local communist paper, El Frente Unico, while also producing a radical publication called Guillotina. <sighs> Inspired by events in the port, rent protests took shape in several other cities in the state of Veracruz, including Orizaba, Cordoba, and Jalapa. At the same time, activists launched full-scale strikes in Mexico City and Guadalajara, while others in Merida, Puebla, San Luis Potosi, uh, Mazatlan, Monterrey, Tampico, Aqua, Aquascalientes, uh, Torreon, and Cuidad Juarez also began tenant organizing efforts. Though lacking any central coordination, the many women and men who joined in these collective actions essentially constituted a pioneering urban social movement dedicated to the causes of housing reform in post-revolutionary Mexico. Interestingly, it was the strong presence of women. Oh, I would say not interestingly, but it was a strong, uh, the strong presence of women in the Veracruz protests during these years that attracted the attention of many outside observers. The fact that so many participated in the movement during these years led one male participant to refer to the movement later as a women's rebellion. Occasionally, some critics argue that the tenant leader Proal had cast a seductive spell, ugh, cast a spell over the female strikers, conquering them with their strange theories. Yeah, sure. Contrary to such claims, however, the historical sources suggest that women were, to a great extent, acting as autonomous agents in the tenant movement, even if nearly all of them remained largely anonymous. Prominent among these activist women, though only occasionally mentioned in the sources available to a historian of these, these times, was a militant recently arrived from Mexico City. Her name was Maria Luisa Marin. Maria Luisa was a young woman inspired by the revolutionary ideas of those times. In a rare 1923 photograph of 28 women affiliated with the revolutionary syndicate of tenants, one finds Maria Luisa at the center of the group, standing along with 27 other female collaborators in the only known photograph that identifies female tenant protesters by name, Maria Luisa appears a mestiza, a me, excuse me, mestiza uh, in her mid-twenties with braided long dark hair of medium build and a slightly mischievous yet determined look with, which suggests she played an important role in organizing the women of Veracruz. Marine, along with her brothers, Lucio and Esteban, had come to Veracruz with the purpose of helping organize workers. While we know next to nothing about her life before that time, it is clear that she must have acquired prior experience in the anarcho-syndicalist trade union movement. Soon after arriving in Veracruz in the spring of 1922, she quickly emerged as a propulsive force for the protest, gathering several female residents into a powerful anarchist group known as the Federation of Libertarian Women, Federacion de Mujeres Liberatias. They agreed to a mutual pact that stipulated that if any renter were in danger of being evicted, a general alarm would be sounded to call other tenants to their defense. Armed with police whistles and a strong commitment to social justice, these women regularly challenged housing administrators, police, and other renters unfriendly to the union. They also canvassed the local union markets, where they encouraged domestic servants to organize a union and strike for higher wages. Generally, these anarchist women acted out a popular politics that was staged in the streets, parks, plazas, cantinas, auditoriums, union halls, government offices, the state legislature, and even the Veracruz city jail. Newspaper accounts occasionally referred to Maria Luisa as the partner of Proal, rumored to be the anarchist lover. She was more than just 
The influential tenant leader sidekick, Maria Luisa coordinated many of the revolutionary syndicate's activities. Over the course of the protest, she borrowed liberally from anarchist, communist, Mexican, Mexican, <laughs> Mexican nationalist, and to a degree early feminist thought to challenge elites. Her speeches, prison dispatches, and participation in the rent strikes consistently demanded radical solutions to social problems through anarchist direct actions, public meetings, petitions, and propaganda. She established herself as a truly vital element in the Mexican tenant movement. Though largely forgotten, Maria Luisa Marin represents for us a generation of Mexican women inspired by revolutionary ideas and passionately dedicated to the cause of human rights, fair housing practices, and economic justice. Central to explaining the rise of tenant protest in Mexican cities are two fundamental issues. One, rapid urbanization after the turn of the 12th, 20th century, and two, institutional and political change in Mexico in the decade immediately after the revolution of 1910. All right, and if you'd like to read more, the article goes on quite a bit more. Again, you can find it at libcom.org, and it came out in 2012. So I'm going to do my best to share that right now. If you go to the weekly review page, you can find that there. <sighs> Thank you all. Okay, and then we're coming to the end of the program. Thank you all again so much for listening. Thanks to the folks donating to the show as well. Highly appreciate it. I'm going to also just uh, show this on another page too. Why not? The more, the merrier. It's important to get information out there, to get accurate information out there, and also to get historical information out there so we know what's been done before, what we can be inspired by, and hopefully what can be done again. Thanks again, everyone, so much for listening in. Also, quick brief plug for an upcoming event happening tomorrow at the San Francisco Public Library. There's a Degenderates Art and Activism panel happening at 2 p.m. And it has been moved. It's at a different uh, location. Well, it's at, the, at San Francisco Public Library at 100 Larkin Street. And there's an ad on Facebook. And it has all the information there. And just a note, there's a mature themes that will be discussed. So folks, just be aware of that. Um, and also for the San Francisco Public Library, it's the SFPL is accessible for people who use mobility devices. And if special accommodations needed, you can call the SFPL at 415-557-4557. So you can check that out as well. Um, unfortunately, there's no ASL interpretation. However, there are FM assistive listening systems for the room. And uh, the venue will hold hold about 50 to 60 people so folks can check that out there and i believe that's it again this is happening at the san francisco public library tomorrow at 2 p.m so please do um come out and it's going to be held at the meeting room at the latino hispanic b on the lower level meeting room initially it was going to be at the james hormel gallery and this is now going to be in a different room and again for more information about this event you can check it out on facebook it's the degenderates art and activism panel. It's a really awesome art exhibit. I highly encourage folks to go check it out. Cool. All right. So thanks again so much for listening. This has been the weekly review with Roman. I'm going to end on the song I began with because I like it so much. Anti-fascist funk by the Troublemakers Union. It's inspiring. And thanks again so much for listening. Coming up next at 2 p.m. will be Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective here at Mutiny Radio tonight. There's also comedy. There's an open mic at 6, Pam's Comedy Clubhouse at 8. And if you're interested in having a show here at Mutiny Radio, you can do so. Check out mutinyradio.fm. We have a few open slots throughout the month, throughout the week. And all it requires is some training, pay your monthly dues, and you get to have a show here of your own. So again, if you're interested in that, please check that out. Also, check out our schedule. We've got great shows here every day of the week. 
anything you can imagine. So please do check that out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week.